So we are in part two of our series called Defined this morning, and uh, we are uh, looking specifically at this idea that we began last month talking about maintenance and, and believing that God wants to do some powerful things in our lives. And, and I've got, uh, uh, Jason's going to come up here with me uh, as a volunteer this morning, and I, I want to explain to you just one more time, and, and with this giant man's help, um, <laughs> This idea of maintenance, right? Because in, in our maintenance, we, we said the thing that we need to do is connect to God. And when we connect to God, God then gives us strength. He gives us direction. He gives us everything that we need when we connect to God. And so this morning, Jason's going to be the Holy Spirit in my life, right? And I had to get somebody huge because, I mean, you know, little tiny Holy Spirit, you know. I mean, I don't know. It's just uh, whatever. But there's, there's a dynamic. When I connect with God, when I look to God, right, the first thing that, that I might be inclined to feel is a sense of guilt and a sense of smallness, right? I mean, I see the Holy Spirit. I, I sense his holiness, the Holy Spirit, and, and I immediately feel guilty and I feel small and I back away. That could be one inclination that I have. I want to tell you there's another inclination, and that is as I see the Holy Spirit and I recognize his power, I, I can begin to feel like I'm not sure I want to surrender control. And I can actually get angry. And I turn, I connect to God, and I see, and I see the Holy Spirit, and I see his power, and I'm like, you mean you want control of my life, and you want to take these things away? And I can be angry, and I can respond in that way. And may, make no, no, no doubt that when all of this is happening, that the enemy sees on the outside, and the enemy's going to come. And the enemy, listen, the enemy's learned a lot over two, the last 2,000 years. And he doesn't come to you in a way that drives you into a spiritual reality. The enemy comes in a way where he lights little fires and distractions. And if he can't get you, he wants to push you, right? He wants to hurry you along. And so here I am. I turn to the Holy Spirit. I'm either feeling guilty or small or I'm feeling angry and, I, and, and I'm upset that he wants all this control. And then all around me begins to have little distractions, little fires, little things rushing me and pushing me and distracting me in that season. All of this is fine. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. The thing that we need to be aware of is what is happening. When we know what's happening, we are prepared and we can come against it. When I know that my inclination, it, we, we think, oh, the Holy Spirit, oh, it's so wonderful, and everything's going to be great if I just connect to God. But instead, when I recognize those dynamics that can happen both inside me and around me, then it makes all the difference. So can we give Jason a hand this morning? Thank you, sir. He is uniquely, uh, he is uniquely equipped. And, and so as we face these challenges, as we face these challenges of saying, okay, looking at the Holy Spirit and seeing those dynamics happen, seeing the enemy around us, this is what flows out of our connection to God. And, and, and when we turn our heart to God, so how do we stand up against that? How do we define ourselves in such a way that even in the midst of these challenges, I am going to be a child of God. I'm going to pursue God. And we began with the story of Ruth last week, and we're going to look at these three women in the Old Testament who really struggled and had a difficult time, and they chose to define themselves with God. And we began with Ruth last week as she, even though she was a Moabitess, even though she was a widow, she could have defined herself by her past, how she was born. She could have defined herself by her circumstances, but she chose to define herself as a follower of Yahweh. She chose to define herself as someone who was loyal to the people that she loved. 
despite her circumstances. She chose to define herself that way. So this morning, we're going to dig further into this story of Ruth. We're going we're to conclude Ruth today, right? And so we're going to look at the rest of the story of Ruth and see how does she move in this place, in this place where she has to respond in this moment. How, who, how does she become who she becomes? So we're going to look at Ruth chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 2 through 7. And it says this, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field. Hold on, hold on, hold on. As it turned out. As it turned out. Can we all just say that together? As it turned out. She was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, just then, just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, let me please glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. Let's pray together. We rejoice in who you are today, God, that you're in control. We rejoice in the peace that we have in you. God, we desire to be your people because you are God, because you are beautiful. Lord, we are drawn by your great love. So, Lord, strengthen us today, encourage us, guide us, and lead us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You know, love is an interesting thing. And love songs are an interesting part of love. Uh, you know, love songs uh, have a tendency to take us into different places and, and uh, do different things. And, and, and love songs are just an interesting part of love. You know, I, I, there was a song that, that I didn't like much. Um, but I, I heard it. In fact, it was old when Michelle and I were dating. It, it was an older song. And, uh, but I heard it at just the right time when we were dating. And, uh, and here it is. I don't like that song. I, I, I don't like that song. But I heard it at just the right time when I was hoping that Michelle Peterson was having, was thinking, was looking at me, right? And I don't, I don't get it either. But was looking at me and was thinking, I can't fight this feeling anymore, right? And so that song has stuck with me, okay? And it's like every time I hear it, I think back to, you know, to that time and thinking, oh, I hope she can't fight this feeling anymore, right? Even though I don't really care. And this whole discussion, it led to an amazing group chat in the Lowe family about love songs, right? Um, it, I like wordy and positive love songs. There's a song called True Companion by Mark Cohen. There's a song, uh, you know, Something in the Way She Moves by James Taylor, right? 
And, uh, and my, my kids and Michelle, they, they don't like those songs. They, they like worse songs. They like songs that aren't good. And it led to, but it kind of led to a cool thing. Uh, there's, there's now a playlist on Spotify where we all put our love songs on this playlist. And you can imagine, man, I mean, it is a little bit all over the place. And uh, I, I say they like less songs, but Michelle had this song uh, in, in there. I mean, it wasn't too bad. Anybody? Any Brian Adams? I know he's Canadian, but we can, uh, okay, all right. See, I, I imagine Michelle sitting on the front row here and that this was going to be a powerful moment, and then Ben had to go and steal the show, right? And, uh, oh, my appendix, whatever, man, you know? And, uh. I'm trying to score points, Ben. I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to score points. But you know, there's something about love songs, and that is that they focus a lot on the beginning of the relationship, right? I mean, there's like, there's so many songs that are really focused right on the beginning, and it's like, you know, I like you, and and I, we're at a distance, you know, I really want to have your heart, and then like we're getting to know each other, and uh, oh, you're great, right? And then it's like, oh, well, we're in this relationship, and you're the greatest person ever, and it's all wonderful, right? And then there's like a whole nother swath of love songs that focus on the end, right? It's like the breakup songs, right? I mean, you think about it. It's like there's either breakup songs or there's beginning songs. There's not a whole lot of songs about like the 11th year of marriage with like your morning breath stinks and these kids are brats <laughs> and like, but you know, I'm not sure I like you, but we're going to grind it out anyway, right? There's just not a lot of those songs. Now, I know there are some. Don't send me your country songs, Okay. <laughs> I know there are some of, the, some of those songs, all right, but yet the vast majority focus on the beginning or the end, right? And the same is true of our songs about Jesus. You know, Jesus' love for us is the greatest love that, that ever has been. And yet so many of our songs and our thoughts, what do they focus on? It's like the salvation experience, right? All the, you think about all the great songs, the Billy Graham songs, you know, con, you know, just as you are and all this. And it's like focused on, oh, even Amazing Grace, right? I mean, all the songs and it's like, oh, this beginning and oh, the weight that lifted off and oh, it's great. Or... There's the end song, the songs that you know from the funerals, right? It's like you go to the funeral and you can pretty much kind of guess which songs that you're going to hear, you know, go tell it on the, uh, go high on the mountain or whatever it is. I don't know. It's discouraging to me. But you know you're going to hear those songs. And it's like the, those two seasons are just so well represented in our thinking and our, in our songs and in all that stuff. It's like the beginning, right? Oh, it's great. It's wonderful. I mean, man, when you're first saved, I mean, can you, can you remember back? Maybe you've been saved a while, but you remember that weight that lifted off of you, and it's like so glorious and awesome, and you look back at that, and then you know that in the end, right, that you, the songs that they're going to sing, and they aren't as great, but they're, they're there, right? The songs are there. But yet, where is our, where's our life lived? Our life seems to be lived in the middle of this. I mean, there are some, some of us that have been saved for many years and, 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 you know, Lord willing, have many years of life left. And where are we at? I mean, we're, we're in the middle. We're grinding this thing out. And we're trying day by day to live according to the plans and the, and the wishes of God and the desires of God. And it's there in the middle in the grind, right, where we have to live our lives and where we have to define ourselves. The daily grind is not glamorous. The daily grind is, is not an event in the relationship, but it's the grind that most clearly defines us. 
It's those decisions that we make when, when uh, you know, we're, we're having to hold on tight and when we're, we're being crushed and when we're trying to figure things out in the middle is, is, are those things that most clearly define us. And I, I, I just want to submit for your thinking this morning that I think it's easy to miss God in the grind. You know, we see him in salvation. Yes, God. Oh, yes, I see you there. I felt you there. We see him in the dark times. In the end, you know, somebody passes away and it's like, oh, I felt this peace that passes understanding. But the truth is that God is there with us all the time. And God is there with us in the grind. God sees you where you are. God sees you in those difficult moments, those difficult decisions, and those times when you've got to choose to define yourself in the grind. You know, I mean, Ruth chapter 1 is incredible, and it's incredible. We've got the verse, the wedding verse, right? Like, wherever you go, I'll go. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. Death won't separate us. They're going to bury my bones on top of your bones, right? And everybody's at the wedding like, oh. And it's beautiful, right? But the story continues, and it's the beauty of Ruth is that this story continues. It's not, oh, I got saved, and it was glorious. It is, right? But the story continues, and we see Ruth and Naomi come back to Bethlehem as Ruth makes this declaration in chapter 1 and chooses to stay with Naomi, and they go back to Bethlehem. And as they, go, as they arrive in Bethlehem, Naomi uh, walks in, and you know the, late, the people recognize her, and they're like, oh, it's Naomi. And Naomi, always the wet blanket, always negative, always interpreting life through the negative like lens, she's like, oh, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, which means bitter, right? Do you know those people? I mean, are those people exhausting? I mean, just honestly, right? She's like, it's like everything that happens, it's like, oh, you know? Oh, don't, don't call me Naomi. Don't call me the, the precious one. Call me, call me the, the one that God has forsaken. He has left me empty. Has God left her empty? Is she empty? First of all, she walks into the city and people recognize her all of these years later, 10, 15 years later, people are recognizing her. And she has this daughter-in-law who has stuck with her through this and not left her alone. Listen, if you choose to define yourself with the negative, then there will always be a way to interpret your situation negatively. I want to tell you, I believe it's offensive to God. When, we, when God continues to bless us and lead us, right? And guess what? You're not in heaven yet, okay? So life's not going to be perfect. Life's going to be hard. Bad things are going to happen. This world is broken by sin, okay? And if you choose to focus on the negative and only see the negative, then that's all you'll see. And Naomi comes in, oh, I've been abandoned by God. Oh, I'm empty. And Ruth's just sitting over there like, uh, hey, hey, you know, I stuck with you through thick and thin. I stuck with you when things didn't look good, you know. I mean, Orpah, she's off doing her thing, right? And I, I'm here with you, right? Proverbs 14.30 says, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. It's like that attitude right? That attitude that, that she has. And Ruth is here, and it's so powerful. I mean, I hope you don't miss the, the people dynamic of the story, because it's so powerful. In the face of circumstances, in the face of this negativity, like, she figures out a way to define herself apart from all of that. I mean, she's a Moabite. She's supposed to be cursed. She's a widow. She's, her future is supposed to be bleak. 
And here's Naomi, who's supposed to be representing Yahweh to her. She's the follower of God. And, and yet Naomi's just, oh, no hope in God, not telling her to have hope, not leading her. And yet how does Ruth choose to define herself is in a way in which she has hope. She's going to be defined as a follower of God who is willing to step out and to follow him. Even though her life has not turned out how she thought it would. You remember, I mean, her, name, her husband's name was uh, Kilion, right? Which a lot of you thought was cool. Everybody was like, oh, that was a cool name. Yeah, it means annihilation, right? We said that. And so, so, so Ruth marries annihilation, and her life doesn't turn out how she thought it would. <laughs> Man, I mean, some people, they just miss, they miss the signs, right? I mean, you fall in love, and you can't, you're like, oh, I'll just marry annihilation. You know, he's handsome. He's cute. And uh, we're going to marry annihilation. But her life doesn't turn out how she thought it would. Her situation is not what she thought it was going to be. And yet she chooses in that moment. She chooses in that moment to get up the next morning and to say, what can I do? How can I walk in hope? And in Ruth chapter 2, verse 1, it gives like the spoiler foreshadowing uh, and talks and tells us that Elimelech has a relative, right? But it's just a literary. It's, 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 it's foreshadowing. Ruth has no idea. Ruth doesn't know about Boaz. Ruth doesn't know that there's a future. Ruth doesn't know that there's a hope. Ruth knows what that all she knows is to get up that morning and to say, what can I do to walk in hope today? I, I mean, let the band come. Let's pray. Let's go home, right? I mean, let's, because I'm just to tell you, if you just got up tomorrow morning and regardless of your circumstances, regardless of your past, regardless of what things look like, and you said, what can I do to walk in hope today, then, the, then God can tr transform your life. You're going to see it. What can I do to walk in hope today? And she gets up, and we read this, and she goes out, and she says, you know what I'm going to do, uh, Naomi? Uh, I'm going to go, and I'm going to get in the field with the poor people that are, you know, that, that scrape up. The, the, the law allowed that the, or commanded the harvesters not to go through the field twice. They only went through once. And then the poor people could come behind, and they could gather what was left from the harvesters. And so Ruth says to Naomi, I'm going to go with the poor ladies, and I'm just going to gather uh, what I can. In this moment, guys, ah, ah, how easy, how easy it would have been, my goodness, to blame Naomi, to put it on Naomi. It was your idea to come here. Why aren't you doing something? Why aren't you getting off your can't? I don't know how to. Yeah? I know everybody in your life is just perfect and just cooperates all the time and just does everything that you, and it's just perfect. And so you're like, what? People problems? What? Like disagreement? What? I mean, everybody, you know? No. But Ruth, I mean, Ruth's got Naomi there, just an anchor, just a negative anchor. And what does she do? She gets up and she goes out into the field and she works. And what, is the, what does the guy say when Boaz says, who is this lady? He says, she's worked all day. She took a short break, right? And again, I don't, mean, I don't mean to beat you up here, but the beauty of the story, she doesn't go out and she's like, I can't believe. You know, I'll get this and I'll get that. And I, wonder, I can't believe Naomi, Bethlehem, Israelites. She worked all day. She worked all day. This was her character. This was her resolve in the grind when there was no hope in the middle. It wasn't the salvation of, of, of chapter 1. It wasn't the end in chapter 4. It's in the middle. It's in chapter 2. And she's grinding all day long and showing 
her character. You know, God, if you read the Bible, very rarely blesses someone who's sitting still. Very rarely. Usually, somebody's on their way. Either they're on their way or God has called them to move and they begin to move. And in that obedience, God begins to come alongside. You know, that's one of God's favorite ways to do things is to come alongside. You know, we can sit still and we can pray, oh, Lord, just change everything. Oh, God, just change everything. Oh, God, make everything perfect. God, when I wake up tomorrow, just let everything be perfect. And oh, fix her. And oh, fix him. And oh, fix this. Or we can wake up and say, well, what does it look like if I have a hope that God's going to move and then I can start in that direction? And then God, throughout the scriptures, in fact, one of the names of the Holy Spirit is to come alongside God loves to come alongside. Look at Jesus' ministry. I'm yelling at you this morning. I'm sorry. I don't know, but I'm not thinking, I don't think it's going to stop. But Jesus, look at the ministry of Jesus. What does he say? Follow me. Go wash in the pool. Go home. Go show yourself to the priest. Come, move. There's movement there. Yes? If you're sitting still, if we are sitting still and saying, oh, God, just fix everything, that's not biblical. God says, listen to me. Follow me and begin to move. Step in hope. What does it look like on your Monday morning tomorrow to wake up and say, what does a person with hope look like? What would I do if I had hope and believed? God, I'm going to move in that direction, and God, you come alongside me. You know, it puts us in a spot because maybe you're thinking, well, this is my own best thinking. Like, I'm going to get up on Monday morning, and I'm going to move, and I think this is what a person with hope looks like, but I'm going to move in that direction. But God loves to come alongside and say, no, 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 no. And to begin to move in our lives. It was a little dance step there. I just stumbled into that. But God loves to come alongside us when we move. So you, you guys know the story, and we're going to finish the story today, so we've got to summarize a little bit, right? Boaz sees Ruth in the field. I don't know. There's no, like, image of, like, whether they, like, I don't know, okay? But, I mean, something. I mean, he saw her. He's like, hey, who's that young woman? in the field there, right? And we don't know the tone, right? You know, hey, who's that young girl? You know, or like, or like a business owner, you know, like, hey, who's that young girl in the field? We don't know the tone, right? But it turns into a love story, turns into a love story, and there's this, there's this really kind of scandalous part where she goes to him at night on the threshing floor, and it's like she's really not supposed to be there, and this could wreck their reputations and everything like that, but she goes to him at night, and she tells him exactly how she feels. And you guys just read past miracles in the Bible all the time, but a woman who tells you exactly what she's thinking... <laughs> Michelle's not here today. She's with Ben. So um, she'll get me later, right? She'll, she'll get me later. And Boaz responds, and he tells her exactly what he's thinking. And, 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 and they come to, you know, they come to agreement. Hey, I, I, I you know, want you to marry me. He's like, I want to marry you. All right? And, and he says to her, he says, but listen, there's, I, I want to be your redeemer. I want to be your kinsman redeemer. But there's one relative who's closer to you in relation, closer to Elimelech in relation than I am. So that person, I have to talk to that person first, right? 
And, and so at, at daybreak, he gives her some barley from the threshing floor and sends her on her way, and, and, and she goes back to Naomi. And Boaz is there in that moment. And I, I want to ask you this question. I mean, this is, he's preparing to have a high-stakes, high-pressure conversation right? He is about to talk to this guy who, if the guy chooses, could say, no, I'm going to marry Ruth. I'm going to take the land of Elimelech. I'm closer relative. I'm going to step in. He has a high pressure, right, conversation that he's got to have. So when does he have it? When would you have it? I want to tell you, I mean, I, I would be very tempted to say tomorrow, right? Because, I mean, I... I I procrastinate a little bit. You know, I'm a procrastinator. And I'm like, oh, man, high pressure, high stakes conversation. Well, let me put that off. Let me put that off, right? And, but look what, look what Boaz does. Ruth chapter 3, verse 18, and then crossing over into 4.1. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughters, to Ruth, until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Meanwhile... Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned, excuse me, came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Leave that scripture up there for just a second. When does he go? He goes today. He goes right now. Do you know that psychologists tell us that the, the root cause of much of procrastination is fear? That you're afraid of something, and so you're putting it off, afraid of what it's going to say about you, afraid of the situation. And so fear causes the, the, the vast majority of procrastination, they say, comes out of fear. And I've studied it because I procrastinate. And so you have to ask yourself, like, what are you afraid of? And I know now you got to go to that next slide and show us, but, but what, what's going on? Go ahead and hit that next slide. Sorry, I messed you up. Is it that we don't trust ourselves? That's fair, man. That's all right. Okay? I don't trust you either. <laughs> I don't trust me, right? I don't trust my own best thinking. I don't trust the emotions that might be running through my veins, and I don't trust those things either. It gets serious, though, when we ask this question, is it that we don't trust God? Like, why are you putting off the thing that you know you need to do? Why are you, why are you pushing it? Is there some fear in there? Do you not trust God? Do, you not tr do we not trust ourselves because we have not aligned ourselves with God's ways? Listen, when we're not following after him, when we don't do things his way, it totally makes sense that you would have fear. When you're, when you're out of alignment with how God would say, you're, this is how you're supposed to live, and you know it, it totally makes sense that you would have fear. But when we step into following God, when we step into his ways, when I come to God and I say, God, listen, I know I'm not perfect, but to the best of my ability, I am following after. I've done what you've told me to do. I'm trying to follow. I'm trying to be the person that you want me to be. God says, at that point, I take responsibility for your life. I lead you. I guide you. And if we find ourselves putting things off constantly or putting off important things, we have to stop and say, is it a lack of trust in God? Is it a justified lack of trust in God because I'm not living as I know I ought to live? But that is a sign to us that says something is not as it ought to be if you're constantly putting off the important things in our life. But what does Boaz do? He doesn't put it off. I mean, he gets up off of that uh, threshing floor where they had this nighttime rendezvous meeting. He gets up and he walks straight to this city. Uh, can you go back to that scripture that I told you to leave up a second ago? Don't go to four. Go back to, I think it was three. And what does it say? For the, it says this. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there 
just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Where are we at again? Where are we at again? When you begin to move in pursuit of, where, of God's plan, God loves to come alongside you. And just as. I mean, listen, we're going to find out that this guy, this other redeemer, he, he's not a good guy. What if Ruth had gone into his field? The whole story would have came, come out differently. Ruth's fate would have gone differently. What if Boaz had delayed going to the city gate? He would have missed him, right? He would have come along and he would have missed him. But what does he do? They, both of them are moving in pursuit, and God is coming alongside and guiding, then ordering their steps in this process. Amen and amen. So just so happens that as he's there, he meets this guy. I mean, he meets this guy, and he says, hey, you need to redeem this land. And the guy's like, hey, I'd love to redeem the land. And he said, also, you need to marry Ruth. And the guy's like, oh, hang on. I don't want to marry Ruth. I just wanted the land. If Ruth had made it into her field, into his field, the whole story would have been different. But instead, she came right to the right place. And, and Boaz redeems her, and Boaz and, and Ruth, they fall in love, and they have a beautiful wedding, and they have all the things, right? And there's something inside of me. I don't know. If, I don't know. Maybe this is how I'm broken, okay? Uh, 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 an easy shallow, happy ending, I hate it. Maybe it's because I've been forced to watch too many Hallmark movies, and, and it's just like in the first three minutes, you're like, oh, okay, she's going to fall in love with him, and, uh, you know, and, and this is how it's going to end. It's all going to end good. You know, uh, Ruth and Boaz, you look at the story, and you say, man, that's just a shallow, happy ending, right? And I, I want to tell you, I mean, you know what? All endings for us aren't happy, and, and life is hard. And life is challenging. But listen, the end of the book of Ruth is not just the happy ending. The end of the book of Ruth is a prayer and, and a genealogy. And listen to this prayer that the, that the leaders pray over Boaz. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrath and be famous in Bethlehem through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman. May your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. D these are the great, 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 great grandparents of Jesus. Did they become famous in Bethlehem? <laughs> that was an easy one. Did did the grandparents of Jesus of, they become famous in Bethlehem? Yes, they did. Then the genealogy in Ruth 4, 18 through 22. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Abinadab. Abinadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. The father of Jesse and Jesse, the father of David. Father of David, Jesus in the line of David. Jesus, the Messiah. The story is so interesting because it doesn't just end with, oh, this is a happy ending. That wasn't the point of the story. Our stories might not end in a happy way or, or, or you know, I, we don't know that we get everything that we want or everything that our heart desires. We don't know that. But the end of the story has eternal consequences. 
That's the point of the story, is in the end, Obed is the father of Jesse, and Jesse is the father of David, and Jesus comes, the son of David, the Messiah. And our lives have eternal implications, and those eternal implications are played out in the grind of everyday life. Yes, we come to a salvation moment with the Lord. Yes, in the end, we will rejoice because our death is gonna be glorious too as we leave this body and enter into the presence of the Lord. But it's in the middle that we define ourselves, where we make the hard choices. Am I gonna be obedient? Am I gonna be a child of God? Because those choices have eternal consequences. Guys, this is the power of Ruth. This is the importance of Ruth, is to remember that on a random Tuesday, on a Thursday morning, on a Friday night, I can make a decision in the grindy part of life and it's going to have eternal consequences. I can make a decision on a Sunday morning. It's gonna have eternal consequences. Maybe you're here this morning, maybe you're listening online and, and things haven't turned out how you wanted them to. Maybe you're in the middle of circumstances and it's hard not to be negative. It's hard not to blame the people around you. But your attitude and your decisions in these grindy parts of life will have eternal consequences. Either a testimony to the Lord or a testimony that we weren't really sure and didn't have faith to believe and to hold to the truth. If you're here this morning and maybe you've never surrendered your life to Christ, Maybe you're watching online this morning and you've never surrendered your heart to the Lord. I wanna tell you that this decision that you make in this grindy season and part of your life can have eternal consequences. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came and lived a perfect life and died on the cross, shed his blood that our sins could be washed away, that we could live with God forever. And maybe everything hasn't turned out how you want it to, but God is still faithful. The blood of Christ is still effective to wash you clean. Maybe this life is not going to be all that you want it to be, but God has promised you eternity to look back and to say that the struggles of this life do not compare to the glory of the life to come. There's that promise, and there's also the promise that he is with you and with us through these struggles and through these challenges. As we bow our heads this morning and close our eyes, I just want to ask you in this moment, if that's you, if you would say, Pastor, I have come to believe that Jesus Christ died for me, but I've never surrendered to him as the Lord of my life. And I want to make that decision today. I've been looking at my circumstances. I've been looking at everything that hasn't turned out how I wanted it to. And I've been frustrated and I've been lost. But I've come to believe that regardless of what my circumstances are, that Jesus is true and real. And I want him to wash me clean. I want to be his child. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you this morning, can you just slip up your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. I need to pray that prayer. I see your hands. Is there anyone else who would say, that's me. I see your hand. I'm not going to call you out or forward. Nobody's going to know except for me, you, and the Lord that you're praying this prayer in this moment. Is there anyone else who would join these four who have said, that's me? If you're home, online, can you just raise your hand right where you are and just raise it as a sign of faith to the Lord and say, God, that's me. I see your hand here in the room. I see you. I see you. 
regardless of what's happening in your life in this moment, this decision will have eternal consequences. Is that, is that you this morning? I see your hand. You can put your hand, just put it up and put it right back down. I see your hand. I want us to pray this prayer together, all of us, out loud, so that those that raise their hand are not singled out. If you're home, even if you're by yourself, but you raise your hand, I want you to say this prayer out loud to the Lord where you are as we all say this together. Dear Jesus, I believe that you died for me. Wash me clean. Forgive me of my sins. Restore me to God. Come and be the Lord of my life. Lead me from this day forward. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. For all of us, there's challenges. For all of us, our lives are going to be defined in the grind of the day-to-day decisions. Will we wake up tomorrow and the next day and say, what does it look like to be a person of hope? What does it look like to walk out into that field? Those decisions are going to have eternal consequences as well. May we follow the Lord with our whole heart each and every day. Amen? Let's stand together. Our prayer team is coming at this time. If you have any prayer needs that you would like to pray with them about, they are here. They would love to agree with you in prayer. Maybe you prayed that prayer of salvation this morning and you want to just share it with somebody. They would, be, they would love to hear that from you. But if you prayed that prayer, I want to tell you that the next time we have baptism, you need to be baptized. The scriptures tell us that this is the way we publicly confess that we are followers of Jesus, is that we are baptized. It's a direct command from God. So if you prayed that prayer and you raised your hand and I'm the only one that saw it and God saw it, but the way you publicly confess him is to be baptized. And so as you see that baptism come up, you need to sign up and you need to make that public declaration of him as your Lord and Savior. Amen? But if you wanted to come tell me after service that you prayed that prayer, I wouldn't mind doing a little dance with you. God, I pray your blessing on your people as they go from this place. Give them peace that passes understanding, so much so that the people around them come and they say, what's different about you? And our answer will be, it's Jesus. He's given me peace. He's saved me. I just, I know where I'm going to go when I die. And so with that card off the table, nothing else is scary anymore because I have peace that he's walking with me through this life and into eternity. Thank you, Lord, for this peace. And I pray this blessing on your people now in Jesus' name. Amen.